crime before we examine all things age on the screen, on the street, or I'm a coil author of the Rick Cahill, your host, obviously today, um, 19th anniversary, which is uh, amazing. So it's a, it's a somber day, obviously a day of remembrance in, in here at Crime Corner. We remember that morning 19 years ago. I'm sure everyone listening can remember where they were when that second plane hit the tower. We also remember how America came together right afterwards and cherished that sense of unity. Hopefully we can all take some of that feeling going forward in these tumultuous times. Uh, but then go, go forward, we do. Uh, we've got a show today, and we're going to do it. We've got a good guest. August Norman is originally from central Indiana, probably a Bobby Knight fan, but has called Los Angeles home for two decades, writing for or appearing in movies, television, stage, productions, web series, and even commercial advertising. A lover of a lover and champion of crime fiction, August is an active member of the uh, Two Writers of America, International Thriller Writers, Sisters in Crime, and regularly attends Santa Barbara Writers Conference, which I've heard good things about. August August's debut thriller, Come and Get Me, was included in Suspense Magazine's Best of 2019 Awards in the debut category. The second Caitlin Bergen novel, <clears throat> excuse me, Sins of the Mother, was released on this Tuesday. Norman. Thanks for having me, Matt. I, uh, I, I'm a big fan of the Crime Corner. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be here. <laughs> Thanks. All right. I, I know of two, uh, maybe three fans. So we're, uh, the demographic is growing. So um, tell us a little bit about Sins of the Mother, which is a great title, by the way, and Caitlin Bergman. Sure. Sins of the Mother is a modern crime thriller uh, featuring uh, investigative journalist Caitlin Bergman. Caitlin uh, is in her mid-40s. She grew up in Los Angeles, and that's where she works um, for a, a free zine doing um, feature-length investigative pieces. Uh, she, we find her two years after the first book, Come and Get Me, uh, sort of in her prime, uh, you know, just knocking on doors and getting get the story. And uh, out of the call, she gets a call out of nowhere uh, from a, a sheriff in, a, in Coos County, Oregon, uh, which basically says uh, that we, they think they have the body of her birth mother. Uh, now, Caitlin has grown up uh, an adopted child, um, raised mostly by a predominantly single LAPD officer who she idolized while he was alive, um, but she never had a relationship with her birth mother, and uh, except for one interaction around her 13th birthday, uh, which sort of led her to a feeling of betrayal from then on. So looking to, for some closure and maybe a final FU, uh, Caitlin goes up to Oregon to uh, to look at this body, only to find out that this someone obviously doesn't want to know who this anyone to know who this body is. What's worse, the area has uh, the local oddity of having their own um, cult in the area. Um, so um, so the, instantly they think this body may be associated with the cult, uh, and Caitlin has to decide whether or not uh, she cares enough to look into the past of, of her birth mother and possibly find out who her birth father may have been uh, or whether just to go back home. Um, so um, she, she jumps in the middle. She uh, gets to know everything about a cult called the Daughters of God, uh, which started in Los Angeles, like many cults do, uh, and moved, uh, moved up into the woods of Oregon, uh, where these cult members have also come up against a local white supremacist group called the Proud Sons of Oregon. Uh, and these these two groups have, have sort of come to a head. Uh, so as Caitlin dives deeper into the search for her past, um, she also finds that a local girl, uh, herself a 13-year-old, 
who was the daughter of one of these white supremacists, has taken shelter amid this cult of mostly women uh, and put, uh, takes it upon herself to, to help find this girl a path towards some sort of future. Right. And uh, by the way, the first uh, – I can't remember if it was a prologue or cha- – I think it was a prologue. I'm not sure if it was a prologue or first chapter. It's really got a great hook, and it really grabs you, grabs you right away. So um, you mentioned that uh, Caitlin um, – Oh no, it's happening. Oh no, I can't hear you. Oh no, it's happening, Matt. I can hear you. Did you hear my long question? Uh, no, I just heard the phrase, did you hear my question? So that's oh, where we are. Yeah. Yeah, the 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 the, ex, the intro music was a little. I got a couple little spaces of uh, of, of, of silence, but um, hopefully the audience can hear us. So um, I forgot what my question was. Well, why did you make her as your protagonist uh, in a, a crime, you know, um, solving book? Why did you make her a, a newspaper reporter as opposed to like a PI or a cop or ex cop? Uh, Caitlin began out of a, an original manuscript where I had her sort of be the, uh, the foil for an ex-cop who uh, was searching for redemption. And the backstory was that she was the reporter who originally um, called him out for corruption, and then later they ended up partnering together. Uh, when I wrote that manuscript, um, you know, there, there was a lot of there's a lot of LA-based, uh, hard, you know, hard-boiled noir. Uh, and the feedback I got was that most people loved the character of Caitlin. Uh, I, in my background, um, one of the paths I did not take but had seriously considered was the world of journalism. I have several friends who are, are journalists to this day, and um, and I, I see journalism as one of the last, um, well, one of the last noble professions if it's done right. Um, so Caitlin is my um, my way of uh, talking about stuff that makes me angry. And um, while, of course, she'll never be, she'll never be, you know, breaking down doors and bashing heads. Uh, she certainly is smart enough to make sure she doesn't have to most of the time. Uh, she does get her hands dirty in both of the books so far. But um, I, I take it as a, a realistic profession um, that gets into trouble uh, in this modern world. Plus, I don't, I don't necessarily have the cred to write a police procedural or necessarily a PI novel. So I, I do ha- seem to have the cred to write a journalist. Hey, if, if we got to start looking at cred, I'm a, I'm a fraud. So uh, I, I've learned how to fake it. Um, uh, well, she's, she's, uh, she definitely got some bulldog in her. So I mean, yeah, it was just a, uh, I was just wondering why, and it's obviously a good choice. And um, you know, there's some great. Um, Newspaper journalist hero books and movies for sure. Uh, so you said mm-hmm. um, you on uh, a manuscript that you were, were writing a long time ago. How long ago was this original manuscript that, that eventually turned out to be a Caitlin yeah. Uh, novel? Yeah, my shift into uh, into feature length novels, feature length <laughs> novel length fiction is what I meant to say. Uh, started in my mid. 30s, and then now here I am, uh, mid 40s. Um, so it's about a 10 year process. I had yep. uh, moved to Hollywood and uh, worked on screenplays and uh, mostly comedy, um, episodic TV, as well as uh, screenplays, mostly with friends. And you know, I was 
somewhat represented and had some success in that world. Um, but it, back in the, the golden age of independent film, a friend of mine who was a director who uh, I wrote a lot of stuff for, he had sort of seen, he'd, he'd seen a hypnotist somewhere, you know, do their show. And he's like, oh, I'd love to do like a murder mystery where a hypnotist convinces someone to kill themselves. And I'm like, all right, I'm on it. So I went ahead and wrote a, you know, a, wrote my first uh, crime uh, screenplay, but, but you know, a little bit of sardonic humor, but nothing, uh, nothing for jokes. I mean, and uh, when I gave it to him, he's like, nah, I'm good. That's not what I quite what I was thinking. So, um, but I had done all this work and I, I really wanted to, uh, to novelize it. So I went ahead and did so. And then I took a couple years and learned about the industry. Oh um, yeah. You know, I, I made a lot of great mistakes, um, and that. But that first manuscript did end up going out. I mean, I worked it enough. I uh, went to writers' conferences. I, I started uh, working with editors. I learned to self-edit. Uh, plus, I learned the modern market. I mean, I'd always read. You know, I grew up reading Agatha Christie and Arthur Conan Doyle and uh, Hammett and uh, and <laughs> not Philip Marlowe um, and Chandler. Chandler. But I yeah. hadn't really read the modern market, um, and so it wasn't until I started mm. doing this, I'm like, hey, I don't really know what's going on around. So that like first year, I probably read 50 books. Um, I, I just you know went to a used bookstore and grabbed something with Los Angeles on the cover, and then. Um, <laughs> You know, if, uh, if if they happened to be someone rather well-known, like Michael Connolly, I'd grab one and then see if I could grab 20 more or whatever they had, uh, Robert Price, right. um, same sort of thing. And um, and really, you know, developed an appreciation of the modern um, the modern market. Um, so that, that led me towards uh, – eventually I had some representation uh, with that first manuscript. And while it didn't go, uh, I was working on the manuscript that would become Come and Get Me. Uh, obviously that one went and that spawned uh, sins of the mother. So here I am. So are you, are you completely for now uh, done with writing for screen or, or TV? Uh, yeah, I am at this point. I, um, I really like this genre and uh, I mean, obviously, you know, if people want to adapt stuff. I sure like first cracked at it. But um, but yeah, I, I I much more prefer to be a novelist. I, I like the pace, I like the medium, and uh, I like the freedom. I, I mean, the great thing about writing a book is no one can take it away from you, and when it's done, it's a finished product, whether or not someone buys it or not. Yeah. Um, a, a screenplay is simply that. If it's sitting there, it's sitting there, and uh, it's still an accomplishment. But you know, again, if no one makes it, it does not become a thing. So uh, I like. I love novels, and uh, I love I love the industry. Well, I mean, it's an interesting industry, but I love the people in the industry a little <laughs> bit more. Yeah. Right, exactly. Did uh, your all that background, the year spent writing uh, for screen and TV, I guess, did that help you in your novel writing? Has it helped you in your novel writing? Uh, yeah, very much so at the beginning. I mean, certainly the TV film world has a, a an emphasis on pitchable stories, uh, high concept, and, uh, and just economy, uh, economy of scale for the whole thing. So when I went to write that first manuscript, I ended up having a hundred page outline complete with dialogue. Uh, so that, that's a pretty, that's a pretty thorough outline. Um, yeah. so I was able to, you know, you know, to take that and knock it out into a novel. And then, uh, for my second one, I really wanted to sort of see to the pants it. And I ended up writing, you know, a monstrosity of, of a manuscript at 160,000 words. Um, yep. And so I, 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 yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, for those who are not aware, usually we fall between 70 and 90,000 words for a final product. 
uh, in the crime fiction world. So I um, then I, I went ahead and wrote the screenplay version of that book uh, so that I could whittle it down to only the essential uh, items. Went back toward the manuscript and then cut it in half. Interesting. Uh, for so this, you... for this, yeah. So for Sins of the Mother, I actually haven't uh, put it in the screenplay form yet, but um, but I probably will uh, in the next. I'll probably take a stab at it in the next month or so. But but it's you for um, the first book, uh, Come and Get Me. You're saying that after you'd written 160,000 words, you put it in screenplay, and then so that helped you um, revise down a manageable number of pages and words. Exactly. Yeah, I had characters, I had multiple characters who I loved, but who were basically doing the same thing. So I, uh-huh. you know, I'd consolidate them, them to one person. I, you know, I had a lot of great also i set that book in a, in a real place and so part of my writing of that was discovering that place through you know expansive setting uh and after a while you're like well you know the reader doesn't need any of that um so yeah it really did help to to clarify the story um and therefore cut down the plot uh, once i had it in that screenplay form that's really interesting that's uh uh it's kind of like the outline afterwards which um some blank pages do to help the really the, really focus you on what the story's about. Um, that's a really good idea, actually, if you have that ability. So, um, regarding, I know uh, Caitlin, just from reading up a little bit on your bio, that in some ways she was taken from someone you knew. Correct. Uh, correct. I mean, as I mentioned, she she sort of started as a character in this uh, screenplay, and uh, she was an actor uh, who I knew was one of my best friends, who I wanted to see break out, or, or at least get the the option to audition for a role she wouldn't normally get to, to play. Um, she was definitely going out for a lot of best friends or guest stars, and um, and uh, but not necessarily lead type stuff. So while her life, the the events that happen. Um, in my friend's life or do not replicate those that happen in Caitlin's life. Uh, I very much still write with that voice in mind uh, when I write this character. And sadly, your friend passed away, right? Uh, she did. Uh, colorectal cancer. Uh, everyone, please get, please get checked. Right. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, the, you know. Yeah, but I thought it was really nice. Um, I don't know. I found it kind of touching. So what kind of research do you have to do for the daughters of God? Uh, did you? Because uh, you sort of uh, you 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 created a, a cult all to your all by you know your own personal cult uh, with religious overtones, obviously or undertones. And um, <laughs> did you do a lot of research on that, or you said, "Hey, I'm making this up." Obviously, I'm making it up, but this is how it works. Uh, I I definitely knew I had to have um, a believable theology uh, that a would attract a lot of people. Uh, and be someone would be able to make money off of. Um, I mean, you know, it's hard, it's hard not to make money off of a religion, but uh, nothing against organized religion. But um, I, uh, I did a lot of research. Uh, there, certainly, there's a wealth of documentaries out there right now. Uh, yeah, there are also a couple of great, great books. Um, you know, I, I, I definitely chose elements from about five different cults um, and sort of merged them together. The um, the actual the cult within, within Sins of the Mother changes names at least once, and that's uh, based very much on a group called The Family, which is also known as The Children of God, uh, which, mm-hmm. again, started in Southern California. Um, yeah. And uh, a, a friend of mine, 
had grown up in that organization, or at least an acquaintance, uh, who I had met at Santa Barbara Writers Conference. And her memoir, um, Apocalypse Child, um, uh, by Flora Edwards, F-L-O-R, Edwards, uh, is a story of her growing up in a cult that basically she was told the world would end by the time she turned 13. And yeah. uh, I, I stayed away from children in my cult in the book. Uh, I kind of didn't want to deal with that, so I made it an adults-only organization. Um, but um, but that idea of not only the fact that, you know, someone sets a date on the calendar for the world to end, um, but also the idea that, that that group even survived for years after the date came and went, you know? Exactly. Uh, yeah, so I really love that idea. Not well, I mean, of cognitive dissonance. I mean, that idea that you know, how do people yeah. keep believing something after it's been proven demonstrably false? Right. I mean, you really got so to sales. <laughs> yeah, you really do. Uh, and I, a lot of that was based on you know, again in the research. Um, there's a there's a study. I think it was in the 50s, and I'm going blank right now. But it's called when the book um, that you can buy is called, or find in the library. It's called When Prophecy Fails. Uh, and it is the original, I believe it's the original study that coined the phrase cognitive dissonance. And hmm. what it was was they found, um, they were studying the concept, somebody was at this grad school, and they found uh, a group of uh, flying saucer enthusiasts. They weren't necessarily a cult, but the way it started was uh, there was one college professor who was way into flying saucers. And again, this is the 50s, so that's the time for that. Um, and then there was a woman, a woman who uh, believed she was auto-writing, meaning she held a pen, and whatever came out of the pen were the words of God. So these people sort of merged together uh, to make their own group where they decided that Jesus had left the planet, but he was communicating to her and telling her basically that they, he was going to come back in the flying saucer and get the people who believed. So ultimately, this grad school found out about it and got to insert three grad students in the study. Um, and what they learned was the date, you know, and this woman set a date, like, oh, it's going to happen on December 12th. Um, mm -hmm. So what they found out was, you know, if someone believes it, but they, they leave the group at the time of the event, they look back and say, wow, that was stupid. How could I believe that? I can move on with my life. But if the people stay together when the event doesn't happen, but they're all still together, they all mm. rationalize it rather than face yeah. that horrible thing. Um, so, so they say, oh, our staying together saved the world. Yay. So, the world ah. so I, really wanted to, I really wanted to use that concept for this cult. So when we meet uh, the Daughters of God, we meet them two years after the supposed end of the world. That's right. Um, so, so I love that idea of this guy backpedaling the whole time to try to, to, to keep it together, uh, to decide if he still even wants to keep it together. Um, and then, again, how do, you, how do you keep people down on the farm after the world doesn't end? Well, I, love, I hadn't really thought about your rat – that the, the people, um, the, the members, had not just um, taking their cue from the, the head guy, but – rationalizing their own actions like that's a, you know, that, that I hadn't really thought about that that's a way for these people to stay on not just um, to be sold but like hey I put all this time and effort into this you know there must be a, another reason why uh, it didn't happen as opposed to what a jerk I mean what an idiot I've been that's really uh, that's really some uh, interesting uh, psychological stuff and that, that's how the brain works it's how brains yeah, and that's and we see so much of it right now, you know, in the world. Uh, sadly, whether it's politically or uh, based in science, I mean, there's flat earthers out there. 
it's something I know, I know. that not only they said back. trigonometry disproved centuries ago, but, uh, you know, rent a boat and go left. <laughs> and, you know, if you don't fall off, then you're wrong. I mean, it's that, it's that simple. Well, actually, so, you, can um, just, you can just sit on the beach and watch boats come in. All of a sudden, they appear oh, above the horizon. Yeah, and that's, that's already too simple for some of these people. I mean, they're going to be like, yeah, but the boats are – well, anyway. Um, so that was what I really wanted to get into, not to mention um, – I mean, really, it's also a book about family. I, I, my wife and I, um, by the time we started, I started writing this, we were also in our family planning phase, meaning choosing to be parents and making those efforts uh, as fun as they are. And, um, and so a lot of this book is about a, you know, a search for what makes good parents and why, for some reason, as kids, we think all parents will be good. Did you have uh, – you have a son, right? Uh, I do, yes. Uh, did did your did were you still writing when your son was born? Uh, no, I think I had. I literally think I had turned in the last draft three days before my son was born. Um, so I, I think, uh, yeah, I think the edited version uh, was about three or four days before he was born. Mm. I was wondering if any of the ideas about family would have changed if you know, or if they even did change. You're getting closer and closer to um, being a father. I think um, I think a lot of it just sort of solidified uh, by kind of writing through it. I sort of solidified my own thoughts of what I want to be as a parent. Um, we definitely. I mean, I grew up in a, in a lovely family. I mean, we had problems, sure, but um, but but compared to Caitlin's version, uh, you know, I'm doing great. Um, but I've definitely made in my time in Los Angeles and created communities. I've definitely made families of my own and those families you choose uh which again is part of the whole it, it manifests itself throughout the book i mean you have the, the cult is essentially a family everybody chooses as well as so it was a white supremacy group um you know they they're they're a cult of their own and so uh i just you know was playing with that dynamic because uh, again it was on my mind excuse me uh speaking of caitlin um when you were writing Come and get me. Did you know at that point you were writing a series when you were early writing that book, or did that come upon later? Or you signed uh, since, a two book deal. <laughs> uh, you're right. When I was writing it, the answer was uh, no, but I was writing in the same world as my original manuscript. So the original manuscript that I'd shopped around that did not sell uh, featured a, a male character named Mike Roman, and he was about 70% point of view, and then Caitlin was 30% point of view. Uh, the, the Come and Get Me uh, came out and swapped those roles, whereas Caitlin is 70% of the point of view and Mike Roman is 30% point of view. Um, I, I, my original concept of as I was jotting down ideas and sort of building out their backstories was I wanted to do three, three books from each perspective. Hmm. Um, however, however, once I sold uh, Come and Get Me, the publisher was like, hey, we love Caitlin, uh, and we really like this character, Lakshmi, who you uh, put into Come and Get Me. We'd love to see her in the second book. Um, and she so, uh, so and she is. Uh, she is the, uh, the 30% point of view character in uh, Sins of the Mother, and uh, she was a fun one as well to get into. Uh, so the future of them, uh, they're, they're all going to kind of play in the same world, is the theory. Mm-hmm. Did you ever read Alan Eskins? Uh, yeah, I have a have one on the nightstand right now. Yeah, because he's sort of speaking of worlds. He's got. I haven't read his latest book, but he's got the kind of revolving, uh, overlapping characters. But 
like it could be somebody completely different in that group who start it'll be the protagonist in the next book and maybe not even have some of the people from the earlier books um pretty interesting he's a good writer um i was gonna ask you oh so you're in virtual book tour this is uh <laughs> your first your first book you got to do all the normal stuff and now you're we, we thought it'd be over by now but you're doing the virtual um book touring it's very obviously the book came out on tuesday so it's very early but um, how did you plan for it? How's it going? Um, what do you think? Yeah, uh, even before um, even before the global pandemic, uh, as we say, um, I yeah. had realized this year, this year would be tough since the baby would be on the way. So All I right. certainly hired a pub. I hired a publicist. Um, yeah. You know, obviously, a lot of a lot of people at higher or the at the bigger traditional publishers are, have the benefit of an in-house publicist who does a lot of work. Um, at a smaller press, uh, you know, they work on you, but you know, they have their budgets, and that's how it is. Yep. So I knew I wanted to hire people who could do as much for me as possible. Um, now, when and then when everything turned virtual, uh, at least I already had sort of a team of people who were kind of spitballing ideas. I'm not great on social media. I mean, I'm not the oldest man on the earth, but like, there's just part of me that will never understand Twitter. Um, oh no. <laughs> as as well as won't won't forgive Twitter. There's also that as well. Uh, oh. And you know, I also have moral questions about Facebook as well. But you know, you got to do what you got to do. Uh, so um, the virtual tour um, has led to some opportunities, and uh, is part of my duties with the, the Los Angeles chapter of the Sisters in Crime. Um, as well as just being friends with a bunch of other authors now, um, I noticed that people were doing the Noir at the Bar events online. And so uh, our chapter, obviously, uh, we had you on as a guest, started doing uh, our own virtual reading events. And as I watch these and see other groups sort of perfect them, it's that, that hybridization of, of what used to be a live event with, with the, uh, the addition of technology, I, I think it, there's a lot of opportunities to kind of do some cool stuff. I mean, Nothing beats actual sitting in a, a bookstore and having readers show up um, uh, and have books signed. That's great, and it helps independent bookstores, and, and you get out there. On the other hand, I think we've all had at least one uh, where maybe not that many people show up. Um, so, oh, really? Uh, no, I've got uh, seven, six books out. <laughs> that's never happened to me. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> the um, – you know, it's uh, having come from Hollywood and uh, some comedy in the background. I definitely played that house where you open the curtain and see less people out there than there are on stage. And so, right. You know, that the great thing about this virtual technology is, um, you know, you get I did a book launch on Tuesday for Book Carnival, which is down in Orange County. And, and I'm in Los Angeles. So first and foremost, I didn't have to drive for an hour to an hour and a half to get there. Um, and, um, I had friends, uh, from the East coast. I had friends from Canada. I had a friend from Columbia tune in. Um, yeah. so it was, it was the kind of thing where, Oh, well, there are pluses and minuses. I felt about, I felt like I had about the 70% of an in-store book launch feel. Yeah. That's really good. Um, that's really good. Now, I don't know if that, if that experience lends itself to book sales necessarily. Yeah. Meaning, I feel like I feel like people in a bookstore feel guilty when they're there, and so they buy a copy, even if they pre-ordered it off the Big A or what have you. But so I get my like, sales uh, guilt. You know, like, that's right. That's what you know. Little puppy dog eyes and a, and a little you know, a cup out with uh, you know <laughs> coins in it. Um, but um, 
I don't know. It's it's a new adventure, and uh, you know, might as well embrace it. Right. I mean, there's also you know having a book released the same week as the most books in the history of uh, publishing. Yeah, I think, yeah, but, that's yeah. True. yeah. Of course, I was being facetious about uh, zero attendees. I've had uh, a couple of those, or at least one. <laughs> Remember, the bookstore's not even there anymore. It was um, oh, the one in South Pasadena. I'm blanking on the name. It's been gone now for probably. Mm-hmm five years but i was in there and uh, they were really great people the, the owners and they had really comfortable chairs kind of like the old um crown bookstore when you used to go in and read and have some nice comfortable chairs oh, yeah. sitting there's a couple chair and it's, it's the owner and his girlfriend who i guess they own the place together and uh it was really it was um it was my first book and i think it came out in may but it was really it was so hot <laughs> it was so hot it was like the hottest weekend up there i'm sitting in there nobody comes in Having a nice talk with the owner, great guy, and and uh, the two owners, great time. And this woman finally walks in. I go, oh, geez, at least I saw one book. So she walks in, and looks at me, and looks at the guy, and she goes, and then she goes to the counter and asks the woman, oh, "Can you get me this book?" You know, so I had, that was a big zero there. <laughs> I was there for like two hours, it's held through brain, but I've, I've had I've had plenty of those. But um, so you brought up the point as I went off topic. The thing that I think there's benefit in the tour, the virtual tours, because for one thing, everyone's getting better at it. And it is, it's an easy way for someone, like you said, your friends in Canada, for someone to drop in, take a look, listen to you. But, you, but yeah, I don't know how you get the book sales out of it. I don't, that's the tough part. I mean, sure, there'll be people that buy books, but mm-hmm. to be able to do even, you know, 50% of the book sales, I think that you would do in person. It's going to be tough. I don't know. I think my next book comes out in December, and um, I'm my scheduling up right now. And is and right now I'm I'm doing it like with Warwick's for my uh, December first pub date. We're mm-hmm. like fifty. You know, I go well. You know, we're we're going to mark it down as as um, as uh, online, and then you know if things change, we'll do an in store thing. But I I think I'm going to be doing all online too, and um, it's going to be interesting. But but there is that point. There is a thing where you can, even though anybody can drop in from anywhere, like if you do a library and uh, I think I'm doing a library in like upstate New York or something. And, mm-hmm. you know, libraries are really good about getting their people interested and they really promote well. So it may be a, a way for us to reach areas we wouldn't be able to travel to. Like I don't, my books always come out in December, so I don't travel to the East because I'm afraid of getting snowed in, not snowed in, but my events snowed out or something and no one coming. Right because there's some snow so it might be a great way to get in front of people in different parts of the country we never do but it also you know it, it's that old amazon thing where you're just building the brand because you're probably not going to sell too many books that way so i don't know it's kind of what well, i haven't really talked to me about book sales yet and you're you know you're in your first week so it's gonna be interesting <laughs> well, i think I, it's gonna, be, I, I think I it's gonna ultimately I benefit yeah I, I do too. I, I honestly think uh, these indie bookstores are going to do well to to hybridize their events in the future. So even when we yeah. return to some sort of normalcy, I think they better still have a stream going and the ability right. for people to, to log in and, and ask questions and to get book plates, uh, signed books with book plates. Um, right. Because it's definitely, you know, right now there's a lot of goodwill toward if people have money and they can afford it, they'll pay 10 extra bucks to buy a book from an independent bookstore to keep yep. people in business and in jobs right now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, hopefully. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm amazed just at the overall economy, the pe- people's ability to pivot, which isn't a very uh, 2020 word, but like the bookstores here in San Diego, <laughs> the independents, they're really, they're really being smart about things. And 
I'm, I'm really impressed and hopeful that, you know, they're going to be able to make it through to the other side if there is another side. Anyway, I've talked too much. So what is next for you? Even though this new book, brand new, you're on the trail, uh, and obviously we know there's something else that you've been working on. Uh, certainly, and um, it's, it is sort of a, a thing I haven't had to deal with before, which was, uh, you know, I, I had a two-book contract, and we shall see if, uh, if that continues. Mm. Uh, certainly, there is the, you know, when you write for yourself, you, you write whatever the heck you want. Um, yeah. But if, if, if you think the series will continue, which I have a, a book ready to go, um, I'm mm. ready to write, not ready, not ready to go. Um, but if, 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 if August Norman as a, as a brand needs to pivot, like you said, um, I also have a standalone thriller sort of that I've been outlining as well as sort of a hard-boiled noir um, and so it's kind of um, up in the air, uh, and, and sort of will depend. I mean, I guess it also rely on, it's kind of relaxed right now because I do have a baby, uh, which yeah. allows me to be a little, a little brain dead. But um, you know, I'm, I'm very much going to keep writing Caitlin in this world, um, as well as be ready to write additional things. It's great. Uh, you know, a series, as you know, a series is a is a complicated thing, and it. Uh, you have to wear and tear these people for it to be believable. Uh, and obviously, I, I love what you're doing with, uh, with uh, Rick Cahill there. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, eventually readers will either get mad or, or you know, cry and say, what's next at the end? So um, it, it's an adventure. Uh, we'll, we'll find out. Yeah, well, I, I expect good things going forward. You're a talented writer, and um, I enjoyed the book. So how can people find you on the World Wide Web if they want to? I know you're not in social media, but you got something out there. Yes, of course. You can find me at my website, which is nice and easy to get to. It is augustnorman.com. August like the month. Norman like the people from France.com. Um, and uh, from yeah, there, you can find there. my – Pushing it there. Yeah. Yeah, that's too much. Uh, you can find me, my social media on there. I, I do a lot on Instagram, but besides that, you know, I'll, I'll be on Facebook. And uh, once you're on my website, you can, of course, find my email list, uh, which is where I send, you know, info about giveaways, about uh, book promotions, discounts, and, of course, links to other awesome authors who uh, are just making great stuff. So that's me. Yeah, I really like your website. I think it's really well done. Well, so what's uh, what's the next virtual event for you? Ah, yes, I believe on since this is being recorded for some people, we will call it um, September twenty first, two thousand and twenty. I will be at Mysterious Galaxy virtually with Glenn Eric Hamilton. Oh, cool! Uh, I don't know. And then, yeah, well, I haven't posted it back, because you know, it's my my uh, backyard. Although, of course, I'll just be online like everybody else. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then on the 23rd of September, 2020, I will be at Bookseller in Chicago um, with um, a friend yet to be named. Oh, okay. That's That sounds kind of um, perhaps a big name. Don't know. But anyway. Uh, you no, know, it is someone's name, and I, for, I forgot. I didn't know her. Oh. Actually, so it's just, yeah, anyway. Um, the... <laughs> Now I'm defending her by forgetting her name. Yeah, I shouldn't have. I, I should, you should have said. You, you know, you should have said. Yes, you're right. I can't even give you the name. <laughs> then she'd feel great. That's right. But you want to be there. It's a huge name. Everyone should tune right. in. That's right. She's not listening. Don't worry. 
All right. Well, I appreciate you coming on, August. Uh, congratulations on the book and being a new father. And everyone will be looking forward to listening to you at Mysterious Galaxy and uh, somewhere down the road, uh, seeing you in person. Appreciate you coming uh, on. I look forward to that. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for having me. Thank you. All right. So thanks for listening in. I think uh, my next show is going to be about a month. I'm going to have um, Holly West on. We're going to talk a little bit about true crime. Uh, but if you're in a book club and would like to answer questions or listen to an author answer questions and talk about his work, I'd love to talk to you. You can find my retail, my find my email address on my website, mattcoilbooks.com, or sign up on Novel Network to invite me to talk to your book club. Oh, one other thing. Tomorrow, this is Friday, yeah, tomorrow, check out the Right Now uh, Writers Conference online. It's free. It's online. I'll be on a panel with a guy named Michael Connolly, not uh, moderated by the one and only Naomi Hirahara. So please join, join in. This is a copyrighted trademark podcast owned solely by the authors on the air rate global radio network. And I will talk at you in about a month, I think. 